0: Worship team, thanks for leading us this morning. Grateful for you guys, for your hearts. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Well, like I said a little bit ago, here at Hope, this this phrase has been um, used for at least a few years, uh, where we say that God... Moves that lives change, that love acts. And and again, it's not just a slogan that's just kind of used to pump people up. It's actually what I get to watch. And and if you're around here, you get to watch these very things happen through this church body. And um, oftentimes, God moves in the context of, of worship. And one of the things that I sensed since I arrived at Hope back, you know, way back, um, is that God really wanted to grow us, this Hope community, in this area of worship. But by worship, I do not just mean the time that we spend singing songs on Sunday morning when we gather together. And so um, I want to clarify as we go into this message, which I'm calling open-handed worship, I want to clarify this. Worship is not simply just singing songs, right? It's, it's much bigger than that. Worship is the posture of our lives. Now, we express that when we come together, and one of the ways we express it is by singing songs when we come together, so that's worship as well, but let's make sure we broaden it out and remember that worship is the posture of our life. See, we give our attention and our time to the thing that we actually worship, And one way to notice what it is that we worship is is by noticing what it is that we bow to, right? The thing I bow down to, uh, spend my time pursuing, the thing that I think in my life is most valuable, that's really what I worship. So uh, we'll have a little fun with this here. What are some of the things that we worship in our modern American kind of Western Culture, um, I want you to be thinking about here. What do people pursue? Look at what people value in our culture. And I just want you to take one minute, turn to the person next to you, and answer the question that's up on the screen there. Give maybe a thing or two that you think you see what people worship in American culture. So just go ahead, interactive, have fun. It's, all right, give me some. What, what do we got over here on this side? We anybody come up with anything? We worship money. We worship sports. We worship sex. What else on this side is here? Cars. What was that? Duty. Food. Cell phone. Beauty. Beauty. Yes. Education. Work. Man. Sports. What's wrong with sports? No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Don't talk about my football. Just kidding. Yeah, yeah. What else? Social media. Yeah, I mean, this. Yeah. we're going to have to have Phil Donahue here next time to walk around with a microphone. That's really good. I mean, there's really good stuff, right? And so um, all this stuff, as we surface kind of what it is that we as a culture worship, I want to look at a passage of Scripture from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, Verse 19, Jesus is teaching here in what we're about to read, and this is a time where he gets really specific about what um, we humans see as important, right? So here we go, verse 19, Jesus says, "'Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth "'where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, "'but store up for yourself treasures in heaven "'where moth and rust do not destroy, "'where thieves do not break in and steal.'" And here's that verse, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Move on to verse 24, Jesus continues and says, no one can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, and then he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, interesting, I want to point something out in the verse here. If you'll notice here, the, the, the word money is capitalized. It's not, a, it's not a typo. In fact, some of your Bibles, depending on the version you're reading, um, the word there, it would say, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is the word that was used by Jesus. And, and for what we're going to touch on today, that word mammon is going to be really significant. See, the word mammon is actually the name of a rival god. Some of you maybe know about the Old Testament and, and the false gods that were worshipped by the culture back in those times, um, gods like, uh, false gods like Baal, um, Belial was another, Ashtoreth was the name of another false god, and here Jesus names a rival god. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Now interesting again here, Jesus has been talking about what it is that we treasure and he tells us to be careful of the things that we treasure because what we treasure will own our heart. And then of all the things that he could have chosen to land on, things like sports and education and lots of the stuff that you guys named, all really good stuff, of all the stuff he could have chosen to land on, he gets really specific and says, you cannot serve both God and money mammon. Now, for most of us, I think we might react real quickly like, oh, wait, 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 me? No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't serve mammon. I serve God. Like, heck, I don't even have a lot of money, so it's obvious that I don't serve mammon, right? Okay, so go ahead and hang on to that one. That's good. Um, but I think that Jesus is onto something here. In fact, it's, it's, it's my personal opinion that, that, that many of us are so influenced by this mammon thing Um, And it's much more than we'd really like to admit. Getting more specific, um, when it comes to me, I have spent, and sometimes I will still spend a lot of time uh, focusing on providing for myself and my family, spend a lot of energy on getting stuff, um, protecting my stuff that I get, and then adding more stuff to my stuff. And then there's a lot of times when I've accumulated some stuff that I get afraid, especially in the area of, of money. There's a lot of times that I think when I get worried or afraid about money that it's all up to me. And when I do that, I stop trusting in God to come through for me. Because I'm absorbed in me coming through for me. little confession time here. Um, this is my first, as you know, this is my first established church where I've served as a lead pastor. I did a lead pastor at a, a, a church plant, um, but I, I, this just the first time I've done this role at a, a church like this, and, and I love hope. I mean, really, this is the greatest church around, so sorry, Dave. Sorry, yeah. Dave, right? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, Dave. Open Door is a close second, but it's in Minnesota. Um, And it's winter, so it's not even that close of a second, right? Yeah. So, but here I am. I've been about 18 months on staff. Uh, I've been leading Hope for about a year, but it's only been a few months of me being the official lead pastor. So these things take on a little different weight as the lead pastor. And our giving is way behind the, the budget, like like really behind. Um, in January, as a church, we were uh, down about $14,000 for the month of January. We were about that for February. And to be honest, here's the confession. Some nights I get woken up with that by a little bit of fear. And while we do need to let that financial need be known, so there you go, now you know, okay? Um, here is what my fear uh, exposes. Here's what my struggle in the area of money exposes about me. That even with all the things that I've uh, learned um, from this area uh, through scripture and even all the ways that I have seen God come through many times in my own life and in ministries I've been in, uh, a, Especially in this area of money, I've seen God come through in amazing ways. But there's so many times where I still drift over to that place where I think, well, hey, listen, this is all up to me. And then I stop trusting God to come through for me, or in this case, for us. And isn't that crazy? I mean, I know better. I know better. But the fear just kind of keeps poking at me. And after I sit with that fear long enough, the fear about my finances or our church finances, I think here is what our, each of our fear around money specifically reveals. I think it reveals what I put my trust in. In fact, I think this is how Jesus gets to the heart of it quickly through this passage. I, I could summarize what he's saying and maybe the question he asks of us through the passage we just read in Matthew 6. And I hear him saying to me, who do you treasure, Doug? Who are you going to treasure? Who's your provider? Is it you? Is it money or is it me? Doug, who will you serve? Who will you worship? You can't have it both ways, Doug. You can't serve both me and another God. And so this morning, I want to give us a few images and pictures that actually I first learned from Dave Johnson over 20 years ago that that I think are going to help us more deeply enter into this particular teaching of Jesus. And to do that, we're going to rewind all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 14. If you have your Bible, feel free to open up to it. Otherwise, we'll have it on the screen. But Genesis 14 is a story involving Abraham. At this point, he's still known as Abra- Abram. He hasn't had his name changed. But let me give you a little background for the episode as you turn there in your Bibles. Um, what's happened here is that Abraham's nephew has been captured by four kings, and so Abraham pursued the kings that captured his nephew, he finds them, he fights them, he routs them, and now we find he's bringing his nephew back, and he's bringing also back with him lots of other people, loads of treasure, and it's this victorious parade, and they're coming up to a town called Salem, which eventually becomes Jerusalem. And in the middle of this victory parade all the way heading over towards Salem, the king of Salem, um, who's a good guy, um, his name is Melchizedek, he brings out to Abraham bread and wine. Now, hopefully, after a battle like that, there's more than just the little bit that we had at communion. I hope it was more than, you know. But he brings out to him bread, he brings out wine. And also, this king, he is a priest of God. And so this king, this priest, blesses Abraham and says, Blessed be, Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And I think this is such a great reminder for Abraham. Right? Abraham comes back from this huge victory, he's got a ton of treasure, and the king priest comes out and reminds Abraham that God is the one who possesses Everything, that God owns it all. He says, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And not only that, um, he also reminds Abraham to give God the credit for Abraham's victory. Like he's saying, hey, it all belongs to God. And apparently this resonates with Abraham. He gets it because he responds this way. He looks up with his hands raised and he says, I have lifted up my hands to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and of earth so just get that picture in your in your mind abraham lifting his hands to heaven he's looking to heaven lord god most high possessor of heaven and earth i mean those words that he says right there are powerful He's looking up, his hands are raised. God, everything he's saying, everything belongs to you. It all comes from you. It all belongs to you. Which is really great of, of, of Abraham. He, he he gets it right in his heart. He knows it all comes from God. So what he does there, he says it out loud. He raises his hands as an expression of his heart, which is, by the way, why lots of us um, raise our hands in worship. We are expressing in a visible way what is going on in our heart. And Abraham here does it as he proclaims it all belongs to God. Now, how many of you know that we could say these things with our lips? We might even raise our hands, but that could fall short, right? Right? And Abraham here, he doesn't stop with words and action of just raising his hands. He then, it says in verse 20, he gives a tithe. He gives a tenth of all he has to this God who is possessor of all things. Now, some people will say, well, we don't tithe anymore. It's the New Testament, and that was Old Testament law. Well, no, this was actually before the law of Moses was given, and we won't get deep into that, but, but that's something to take into consideration that this was not something prescribed by the law. This was something that was done before any of that ever happened. So here's a question about the tithe, okay? So why did he give a tenth? Why did he give a tithe? And, and why do followers of Jesus tithe on our income today? And, and why is it a tenth, right? And we won't get to all the reasons behind those questions, but one of the things that's important for us to understand about the Hebrew mind and about ancient cultures historically is this, a tenth is a symbol of the whole, a tenth to them. They just was an understanding. This is a symbol of the whole. So Abraham, Abraham is giving a tenth of his spoils of, of the war he just came from, and he does that to show us that a, a tithe is a tangible way of entering into and acting out in a physical way the truth of this spiritual reality that he has just declared. And he gives it, and he is saying in that action, God, you are possessor of heaven and earth. Everything I have belongs to you. And more than just saying the words, he acts, he gives. And when we give, it's not like we just give this stuff to God because God needs our cash, right? God doesn't need my money. That's not why we give. But for Abraham and for us, as a way to remember um, that we want a life that is aligned to the kingdom of God. That's where we give a tenth. And Abraham did it to remind himself, okay, everything I have belongs to God. Now, you know, when I'm in a worshipful mood, it's really easy, I think, for me to maintain my focus, you know, this way, looking up, and I'm in this worshipful mood, and it's great, but then life happens, <laughs> and when I look back down, and I start to, to do my life myself, um, I start to worry about my stuff, or worry about finances, I look down, and I look, and I go, wow, okay, it looks like all that I have here belongs to me, I better, I better keep track, I better pull it in which takes my focus off of remembering that it's God's because now I'm looking down here instead of out and up. So for Abraham, in order to maintain this God-centered perspective, he, he gave it away. A tenth, a symbol of the whole, he gives. And by doing that, again, he aligns his life with God. Now, what he's not doing in this by giving a tenth after the victory he's not paying God back for the victory that's not what he's doing he's not paying God back he's he's not buying God off so now maybe he can get more favors later right by giving this he's not bribing God because God will have to owe it to me Abraham is not trying to appease God fearing that if he doesn't do this God's going to nail him that's not what he's doing Uh, he's also not giving God a tip like well you know 10% is a decent tip so we'll give God a tip be a little demeaning, right? It would miss entirely the heart of what goes on when Abraham does this and when we do this. But what Abraham is doing is a powerful thing. Again, aligning himself, the affairs of his life, the things that he's been blessed with. He's aligning it with the Lord God Most High, acknowledging God as the possessor and provider of all things. And to remind himself of that reality, he gives a tenth of all that he had. Um, Dave Johnson calls this the spirit of the tithe. He says, the spirit of the tithe is this, an alignment of my life and yours that lifts our hands toward heaven and says this, God, you are Lord God, most high. You are my God, possessor of heaven and earth. Everything I have belongs to you and everything belongs to you. Dave says the tithe is simply a tangible way to act that out. What do you think of that? I worked a quote out. Have you ever been quoted in a room that you're sitting in? No? I was hoping for a first. I did it. Now, the spirit of the tithe, I love that phrase. See, it's an alignment of our lives to the Lord God Most High, looking up to his reality, his story, his kingdom, acknowledging he is the possessor of all things. Everything I have belongs to you, God. Out of that posture is where our giving happens as an act of worship. And every week when we give our money in the offering, we are making a statement of worship by the act of giving. And I think it's a really practical, legitimate, biblical way to affirm uh, and do that on a weekly basis uh, is to give a tithe, a weekly or a monthly or whatever regular basis to give that way, right? When you take that, well, does anybody have checks anymore? I don't know. When you take that check in hand or that cash or you go to give online, And in a tangible way, you look at what you have, you're saying, okay, Lord God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth, everything I have belongs to you. I give this to you. You, God, are my provider, and I am so grateful. Right? Now, hang on to kind of that picture of this hands to the sky, looking forward, looking upward toward God, because I'll come back to that in a minute. A number of you here at Hope already tithe and and our members, people that become members of the church here, they make a commitment as members of Hope to tithe. And last year, some of you, I remember, took a step of growth and entered into what Pat Stark called the tithing challenge, and you began to give 10% of your income here at Hope. And I do hope that we're going to be able to tell some of the cool stories that we've heard that have come out of that when people be able, started to give that way. But here's the deal. I don't know who gives and doesn't give. I don't want to know. I think it's better for me not to know. But I do know that a number of you already faithfully tithe at least 10% of your income. But in the American church at large today, while most churches teach at least some form of giving or tithing, here's the annual numbers. 50% of Christians give annually 0 to $5. Um, 20% give $50 to $500. 30% of people give over $500, and that's all we have. That's not even you know tithing. Um, that's just saying 30% give $500 and, and up. The number of percentage of folks that actually tithe is lower than that. Uh, Another thing that was in this study um, that Joel sent me from a Christianity Today podcast uh, that today Christians give less now, percentage wise, than we did back during the Great Depression. So during the Great Depression, three point five percent of their income is what was given, and today uh, it's less than two point seven five percent of their income. Now. I'm not trying to shame or guilt. I'm just painting the picture of here's what's reality. Um, There's no pressure from me for you to, you know, hey, get this right and, you know. That's not how we operate here. Um, There's an invitation for us, though, to let go and to trust God and to start giving in ways that might not be easy for those of us that struggle to give. So contrast the picture I painted from those stats, which is kind of small and a little tighter focused, with the reality of the spirit of the tithe, where we have this picture of looking to God, trusting in him. It's all his. Our hands are raised. They are open. So that's the one picture I want you to hang on to. Now I want to look at the other picture and go back to where we started The message where Jesus was talking about the money, the mammon thing in Matthew 6, where he said, You cannot serve both God and mammon. Now, interestingly, in the scriptures, Jesus is the only one, the only one who used this word mammon for money, and I'm pretty sure there was a reason behind that. I, I think that he knew something about money, that he knew what was behind money that lots of us just don't even tune into. See, Jesus, being God, knew that there was something spiritual involved in money. He says you cannot serve God and at the same time serve a rival God, mammon. Again, Jesus is speaking of a rival God. And in fact, some scholars believe that this mammon thing is an evil spiritual force. So if that's true, then when we deal with mammon, whether we realize it or not, we're not just dealing with you know, a substance like a piece of paper that has numbers on it or a bank account with credits and debits. We're, we're not just dealing with silver and gold. Um, when it comes to money, we're not even just dealing with an attitude. We're not just dealing with even an addiction. Uh, I believe that when we are dealing with mammon, we are dealing with what the Bible calls in Ephesians 6, a power, a ruler, a spiritual force of wickedness in heavenly places, So this mammon thing Jesus talked about, it is bigger than you, it's bigger than me, it's a spiritual force. Richard Foster, in his book, Money, Sex, and Power, says this, when Jesus declared you cannot serve both God and mammon, he is personifying mammon as a rival God. He's making it unmistakably clear that money is not some impersonal medium of exchange. Mammon is a power, and it seeks to dominate your life. Ramp it up a little bit, um, and add this picture to that thought. Milton, John Milton, in his work, Paradise Lost, the classic, he imagines what heaven was like before Satan betrayed God. So before there was ever the fall of even uh, Lucifer and he took the third of the angels, what was it like in heaven before that took place? Here's what Milton said of Mammon. Mammon was thought to be the least upright of all the spirits. Even before the fall, so picture this in your mind, when the spirit mammon was in the presence of God before the fall, before anything had ever happened, right? Before the demonic hordes followed Satan in his rebellion against God. But even then, it says, the angel mammon, it was believed, studied the gold of the streets more than the glory of the Father, right? Just looking down. Picture that, he studies the gold of the streets even while he was walking around in the presence of of God. He's looking at the precious things beneath his feet instead of the precious one before his eyes. It's such an interesting imagery. You'd have to be just focused, laser focused downward to miss what is right up here in front of you, right? And it's such a contrast to this, (laughs) Another scholar, Kittle, in dealing with this word mammon, indicated that the term mammonus is is used to refer to mining, which is digging in the ground. So it gives us a picture of a a gold miner, right? He is underground. He's with a pick and shovel. He is obsessed with finding gold. He is possessed with trying to scratch from the earth some kind of treasure, trying to, to get his life and sustenance from the earth. From this world, he's scratching, he is hunched over, never able to look up. But the picture for me of what it looks like to be a slave to Mammon, the best picture for me is from The Lord of the Rings. It's this character, it's Gollum, right? Um, If you've seen these movies, which we actually watched all the extended editions this week. So, looking for a good clip. Nothing that was really appropriate, so. Um, but, but, But this character right here, If you know the story from the Lord of the Rings, this character Gollum, at one point in his life, before he got the ring, he was a regular guy. He was enjoying life and fishing and had a beautiful life in a beautiful place, but then he got the ring. He actually killed for the ring. He had to have the ring. It became his possession. Do you remember what he called it? His precious... And over time, he became this hideous creature that was just crouched on a rock in a desolate place where all he did was stare at the gold ring saying, my precious, my precious. And when you watch this movie, it's really easy to look at Gollum and go, wow, that is what Mammon intends to do to us, to me. Now pull all that together, you've got the streets of gold, you've got the hunched over miner, you've got Gollum, and what we see is that the posture of mammon is to be looking down, to be looking down. See, the influence of mammon on you and me is to get us to look down, and when we look down, we pull our eyes from God, who is actually our provider, because we're looking down here all the time. And now I hope we can see more clearly what Jesus was saying when he said, guys, you can't serve both God and mammon. We cannot say, God, everything I have belongs to you. You are my provider, and at the same time, live with our eyes looking down, digging, scratching, searching for life and value from things down here. Can't do both at the same time. There's no way to do it. And again, this is not about being a person who has money or doesn't have money. This is not about being rich or poor, because regardless of what we have, maybe you're rich, maybe you are poor, but the influence of mammon on us is that regardless of what we have, it is never enough. That's the influence. Regardless of what we have, we're never content. We hoard what we have, we grovel, we dig, we panic. We desperately try to find our security in things down here And when that happens, we can never give freely. Now, I don't mean that you'll never give. Every once in a while, people dominated by mammon and its ruling power can do charitable acts and give here and there. But I'm not talking about just doing charitable acts here and there. I'm talking about aligning our life, right, with hands raised and lifted toward heaven instead of an alignment of life where I am just looking down at stuff. To align our life like Abraham, lifting our eyes, declaring, Lord God, most high possessor of heaven and earth, everything I have, everything I am, God, belongs to you. It's a posture of life where we live this way instead of this way. When we're this way, the invitation, friends, is to look up to see more, more. <clears throat> what's going on inside of you as I talk about this? Like, do any of you maybe feel a sense of release? Like, wow, something's letting go. Um, do you go, wow, you know what, I have been wrapped up in, in fear about money, and, and maybe even in, in just starting to shine a light on this area of, of giving. Um, maybe you're noticing the loosening of a grip on physical things or it loosening its grip on you. Um... I'm hoping, I'm guessing that that may be the case for for some of us, but I'd also have to say, if I'm going to be honest, uh, many of us don't feel that way at all. In fact, if this mammon thing is as powerful as as what it seems here, what I suspect, even as I'm talking about money, uh, talking about releasing our grip or giving, giving, um, some of us are experiencing the opposite. We're experiencing a tightening a constricting of our heart, a tighter grip, a fear. Some of us, it's just even rising up from deep in us. Something in you got triggered even as we talk about this. And I'm just inviting you to pay attention to that. Because if that's what's happening in your response, it's a signal that we are getting close to something very, very powerful, something that might have a grip on our hearts we might be getting close to a rival God that's trying to take our attention and focus off of the one true God, and so it just gets tighter in us. Uh, one one way I noticed that even in me is that, um, which helped me pay attention, is, is uh, with this whole mammon thing and our resistance to talk about it. Is this, even though Jesus talked about money a lot, right? And I like to teach about what Jesus taught about. Um, but even though we talk about money a lot, I really have hesitated to talk about money, right? I mean, part of it is, if, like, if this is your first Sunday here, and maybe you walked in going, ah, churches, they just want our money, right? Okay, I'm a little sensitive to that. That's, you know, um, because, honestly, it's true. Many, many churches do have a disordered focus on money or prosperity, you know, name it, claim it, believe it, receive it, mark it, and park it, brothers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't want to play into that whole stereotype at all, right? Um, and no matter who you are, I just I don't want to step on your toes. I don't want anybody to get mad. But even that kind of hesitancy, I think, is that the grip of mammon goes deeper than I'd like to think. See, there's a power behind mammon. There's a grip of Satan around this area in the life of Christians that keep us from even talking about it. Remember what we've said about not Getting into the light, what we're hanging on to in the dark, right? We're not going to talk about it. Well, the problem is when I don't talk about when I keep it in the dark, when I don't bring anything into the light, including this area of money, um, when I do that, strongholds are allowed to be maintained. Everything has more power in the dark. Lies are not broken by us remaining silent. And so we're talking about it for the next 12 weeks, just kidding, just (laughs) kidding, just this week, lucky for you, it's Lent next week, so, Um, but Hope family, as we move forward as a church, as we step into what Dave called us into in his message last week, as we step into the waters of a risky obedience, and as a people, we launch into God's promises and his intentions for us as a church family. I think it's time for the people of God to stand up and break all the strongholds around us, specifically in this one, for us to declare everything belongs to God, the enemy cannot have it any more. Amen. Back to the words of Jesus that launched us into this message today. It says, you cannot serve both God and mammon, so here's a practical question, how do we break the gift? The grip. How do we break the grip of mammon? How can we be sure that money isn't our God? And there's one surefire way to be sure that money isn't our God. Ready for this? Give it away. Now, when I just said that, for some of us, many of us maybe, our fear gets touched really deeply. And my fear of giving is simply this, well, if I'm going to give of my money or my stuff or my time, I'm not going to have anything left for me. And I think that that fear probably touches nearly every one of us. Like if I give of myself my resources, then when I give, I'm going to be making myself poor, and then we get hunched over, right, because now we're focused on this. And because of our fear, we hang on to, we hoard, we clutch, or we give, but we carefully, tightly measure out what we do give. And along with that clutching and hoarding, friends, we put ourselves in this prison of fear. And that's where we live in a prison of fear when it comes to money. But we don't have to live that way, do we? We can be free. And, and as we realign our lives toward God, God, it all belongs to you. We lift our eyes. We open our hands. We open our hearts. What happens is he frees us from the chains of fear, the grip of money. And I want to close with one story of a, one man who experienced the power of greed and money being broken in his life. Zacchaeus, you may go to Sunday school and hear the story of Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man and a wee little man was he, he must have been Irish, right? Um, But apparently he was Jewish because he's in the book that way, all right, so if ever there was a good example of somebody in whom money and greed had its grip, it would be Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, if you know the story, he was a tax collector back in the time of Jesus. So he was working for the occupying Roman emperor. So he's a Jew, but he's a traitor. He's collecting money for the Romans, taking their taxes, and by the way, taking a huge chunk for himself as well. He was a miser. He was someone who was digging from the earth, trying to secure his very life and provision. He was a liar. He was a cheater. He was a defrauder. Um, he, was a, he was a Scrooge who was on his way to becoming Gollum. He was so consumed with money, he didn't care if he ripped you off. I'm going to get more and more and more and more and more for me until, until he had an experience with the same God who Abraham called Lord God, Most High Possessor of Heaven and Earth. And he experienced God through Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, He experiences the love and grace of Jesus. And out of experiencing the love and grace of Jesus, Zacchaeus says, Jesus, half of my possessions I'm going to give away to the poor. And of those that I've defrauded, I will pay back four times what I've taken from them. Now, I don't know if any of you went, wow, when you ever first read that story, like half of what you own, four times of what you stole. Like, dude, wait, wait, Zacchaeus, that's not a tithe. That's like way more than a tithe, okay, bro? Um... But Zacchaeus was so ambushed by the grace of God, and the love of Jesus, that the chains of greed were broken in his life. But Zacchaeus didn't stop by just saying, hey, Jesus, I'm going to do all this stuff. For Zacchaeus, it was in the doing of it. And when he did it, the power of mammon, the back of mammon, the influence of money and greed was broken in his life. It was broken. And if you know the story... After all that happens, you know what Jesus calls Zacchaeus next? He doesn't call him a liar, a cheat, not a sinner. Jesus claims this tax collector as a follower of God. He says this in Luke 19, This man too, says Jesus, is a son of Abraham. I mean, connect the dots on this. Zacchaeus goes from this kind of Gollum-like figure scrounging and hoarding, but he now goes to this posture of Abraham looking up. God, all that I have, all that I am belongs to you. He is now free from that grip. Malachi 3, God speaks, verse 10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Listen to this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. How many of you know he doesn't say test me in any other place? Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you won't have room enough for it right god's saying test me in this he says take this step okay test me take the step test me you begin to give and i will come behind and provide for you prove me now in this i'm not making this up it's in the text right there god's inviting us to press through our fear and by the power of god begin to give and to break the power of mammon and so as we as we close here um Just a reminder, worship is not simply singing songs, right? Again, it's way bigger than that. Worship is the posture of our life. Here's the question Where is the posture of your life when it comes to this money mammon thing? Where is the posture of our heart? Again, we give our attention, our time to the thing we worship. We know what it is that we worship by noticing what it is we bow to, what we spend our time pursuing. And it's my prayer that as the pastor of this Hope family, that that we all begin to worship God in our giving. Like, it's in my heart um, to see all of us, all of us freed from the chains of mammon and money. It it is my hope that we will worship God with all that we have, with all that we are, that we will worship God in every way, saying... (laughs) Lord God, possessor of heaven and earth, everything belongs to you. It comes from you. It all belongs to you. Worship team, will you come? We're gonna let's let's go ahead and stand. Um, I'm gonna have us pray. We're gonna worship together for a song. But what I want to ask you to do right now is with this picture of Abraham and the spirit of Abraham, the spirit of the tithe, um, and there's no pressure, but if you feel the freedom to do this, uh, in a moment we're going to worship and, and if you feel the freedom to do this, um, I want to invite you to even raise your hands in worship as we begin to sing and to picture Abraham who lifted his hands toward heaven and lift your hands as well. And I hope that maybe that's not your normal thing, but, but I just hope God gives you freedom um, to do that if you resonate with, with what we are speaking this morning in terms of walking into the invitation of freedom. But I'm going to ask you to now do something that I think is really important for our church. Maybe it's a little awkward because we don't often do this kind of thing here at Hope, but I want you to do it with me. Um, if your heart is to be freed, if your heart is that you want to be freed from the grip of stuff, um, if that's where your heart's at, uh, I want you to repeat out loud after me this declaration that's going to be on the screen. I'll do one line at a time, and I'll say a line, and then you repeat it. Um, if your heart is that you want to be freed from this, then even the first step of saying this out loud uh, is, is crucial. Um, so, Lord God, Most High, Lord God Most High, Possessor of heaven and earth, Everything we have belongs to you. you. Let's let's say it one more time. Lord God most high. high. Possessor of heaven and earth. earth. Everything we have have belongs to you. Amen. Let me pray as we enter into worship. In Jesus' name, over this community. With the authority of Jesus, I bind and I break the grip of mammon and fear in this place and on our community. Father, I pray you would set us free to look up, to see more. Lord God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth, release in our community the spirit of the tithe, the spirit of generosity, because it is in you we trust God. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.